You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are in our final week. I can't tell if you guys like my jokes or not because you're not. I don't see your smiles. And uh, I hear the heckles. If I don't see the smiles, that's... A little unnerving. And the other unnerving thing for me is to try to figure out what a socially distanced kiss would be. I don't know what that is, um, but I do love Logan's sense of humor. So there you go. We, we are in week 10. This is the final week of our My Part, God's Part, Their Part series. And I've been actually looking forward to this sermon until I got to the point of actually preparing for this sermon. And then it's like, ugh, do we really land here? And, and the answer is yes, we do land here. But um, it's, it's kind of a, this one may be a little heavier than, than some of the others. We'll find out. Next week, we will be moving into our Advent series, and uh, we're doing Advent in five weeks, because that's the way Mission Ridge rolls. Uh, We're going to do a prequel, and uh, Logan will kick off that series, and he'll talk about the history of Advent, and why are we doing Advent, and what does this mean for us today, And uh, but we're kicking around some ideas to make that fun, so I uh, I think you'll enjoy that one, and that'll be a little different experience next week. I'm excited for it. But when I think about this whole conversation of discipleship, I wonder sometimes if we try to make the way into the relationship with Jesus too easy. And by comparison, at that same time period that Jesus was on the scene, if someone came to a rabbi and said, I want to become a convert. The rabbi would send them away. And when they came back a second time, they would send them away a second time until they came back the third time. Because becoming a child of Abraham is no simple task. And the rabbi wanted the people to understand how serious of a decision this was to become what's called a child of Abraham, a, a proselyte, a convert to Judaism, where they took on every aspect of what it meant to be Jewish. All the 613 laws, and it's, and it's quite the conversion process to do that. Do we try to make following Christ easy? Do we soft sell this? Did Jesus make following him easy? Because I think of terms of things that Jesus said in Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this is a specific requirement that Jesus seems to apply to this person. 
He says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be homeless. I'm homeless. You get to be homeless. That's what it's going to cost you. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. Now, we have to understand that at that time, when when someone would die, you would bury them within seven days. There would be seven days of mourning, and then you'd bury the deceased. But then a year later, the eldest son would have to come back. And now that the body is decomposed and left down to the skull, down to the skeletons, down to the bones, they will come back and repackage the body as it were and, and put it into the tomb a certain way. That was the responsibility of the eldest son. And so this person that Jesus invites to follow him he says, Rabbi, I will follow you, but give me a year's leave first. And Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury the dead. It's a hard saying. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. No one who starts to work the process of sowing and reaping. We talked about how sowing is different than reaping. No one who starts that process and starts working for the kingdom, but then looks back, is somehow drawn back to that old lifestyle for whatever reason. It seems that Jesus is connecting to two different Old Testament stories in this story, in his response. The first is found in 1 Kings, I think it's 19, where Elijah comes to Elisha and basically says, I'm going to disciple you. And Elisha says, well, let me go say goodbye to my family first. He's out there plowing the fields. He's got 12 yoke of oxen, which tells us he was a very rich man. He says, let me say goodbye to my family. And Elijah doesn't, I don't think, like this response. This is not starting well, Padawan. This is not starting out well. And so, but what Elisha does next is actually surprising because what he does is he takes all the oxen and he sacrifices them and he feeds the people. And he's saying in the sense, I am done with the family business. I'm not coming back to this. I'm destroying everything so that I can't come back to this. I'm burning bridges. I'm giving up this way of life in order to be Elijah's disciple. And so Jesus seems to connect his answer, his response to this person by bringing up Elisha, but then also bringing up Lot's wife. Because in Genesis, when God is bringing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels lead Lot and his wife and his daughters out of the city. And they're told not to look back. 
but somehow something attracts Lot's wife. And she turns back. And Jesus says, if you're going to be like Lot's wife, if you're going to start doing kingdom work, but you're going to look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. Hard words. Sometimes Jesus has different requirements for us, specific requirements for us. There's been people I've known that they had to leave their jobs so they could go to Africa. I think that's maybe the big fear when we talk about the calling of God. Well, I'm going to end up in Africa someday. But that's a specific calling. Logan's requirements by God, the things that God has replaced on Logan has been different than what he's placed on me. And, and so sometimes it seems like there's these specific requirements. There's the rich young ruler. Jesus says, you, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is not a universal requirement. We are not universally required by Jesus to sell everything in order to become his disciple. But this is a specific requirement for the specific young man. All of them have a common denominator, though. It seems like Jesus is asking, what is going to be your number one priority? What's going to be your number one priority? What's going to have the most weight carry the most weight in your heart. But then Jesus seems to have some universal requirements as well. Luke 9, he said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Now, when I think about what Jesus talks about here, denying himself, taking up the cross, and following Jesus, I think about the day that I enlisted with the Air Force and I went to basic training. I had to give up my identity, my uniqueness. I had a beautiful mullet, gorgeous Gorgeous mullet. If I could go back to a certain hairstyle, this, this gray stuff doesn't do nothing. It's just, you know, I tell it to go this way and it goes that way. Like it's just wire. But if I could go back to a haircut, I would go to the day before I went to basic training. That was gorgeous. In fact, as we we're swapping photos of our girlfriends back home, one of the guys says, Man, Croyle, you must be better looking with hair. So, I gave up my hairstyle. I gave up my clothing style, if I, if I even have a clothing style. This is a little more my style. I wore clothes like the guy on my left and the gal on my right. They taught us how to walk. They taught us how to talk. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, sir. 
And then taking up the cross, there was a way of doing things in the Air Force. We were taught that there was the wrong way, and then there's the Air Force way. And we learn the Air Force way. I took an oath. I took on some core values that, that before I joined the Air Force, I could have said, well, yeah, I, I agree with those things. But they weren't mine to internalize and own. And then following Jesus, I think in terms of the orders that we were given in the military, I didn't get to decide where I lived. I didn't get to decide how long I worked. I didn't get to decide what the target or the objective was. That was given to me. And I think these are the things that Jesus is saying, if you're going to become a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be a follower of him, he's going to completely change your world. Your identity is now in Christ. Your values, the things that you cherish, the things that you long for need to be found in Christ. Your marching orders, they're written in the scriptures and we need to take time every day to to figure out what that is, to understand God's heart, to live out what he calls us to live out. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And then Jesus also talks about what it means to be a disciple, what the cost of being a disciple in Luke 14. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is a hard saying. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, on our Christian walk, we will be mocked. I've been mocked for being a follower of Christ. But you know who gets mocked more? The person who starts to follow Christ and doesn't finish well. Because the world knows you don't look like your Savior. You don't look like your Savior. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Were you told that? Did you know that? Did you know that Christ would require everything 
out of you. That all that you are and all that you have, your relationships, your possessions, your abilities, your skills, would all be for kingdom work. They requires all of it. Not some of it. Not the parts you're willing to give up. But all of it. Christ wants to be Lord of your everything. He wants to be Lord and he should be Lord. He spoke this world into existence, this universe. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He absolutely deserves my everything. And yet, why do I find that so challenging sometimes? Following Jesus, being part of his kingdom, discipleship comes with a cost. And the question is, are we willing to pay that cost? And every Christ follower has had to face this particular question. There's another cost. There's another cost. You have a spiritual enemy. Now, before we get too far into this conversation, I'll say this. I think sometimes we give Satan credit where Satan doesn't deserve any credit because sometimes we're just living by the results of our own, of our own dumb mistakes, our own poor choices. And sometimes, sometimes life has just got bumps in the road. Everybody experiences that. So, but with that said, we do have a spiritual enemy. And during the Last Supper, we see a conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but have prayed for you that your faith may be, not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. This language should remind us of Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, where Satan comes into the assembly of the angels before God and accuses Job. And the Lord says, do unto him whatever you think, only spare his life. And so he was limited, the enemy was limited in his scope and what he was allowed to do. Well, we know that that very night, Peter would deny Christ three times. He would also be one of the first disciples, at least first male disciples, to the tomb when Christ resurrected. And it seems like Luke is hinting that Peter was there on the road to Emmaus. And then Peter was there with the other 11 when Christ appeared to them. But something still seems off in the story because Peter, up to this point, doesn't own up to what happened 
and the night that Jesus was betrayed. And like all good brothers, at least spiritual brothers, uh, John the Apostle uh, captured this story for us in John chapter 21. Now we're told that that Peter decides to go fishing, and we're told that he, he decides to go fishing. He's, he's commercial fishing. He's not out there fly fishing, enjoying the scenery like we do here in Montana. He's back to the family business. His hand was on the plow, but he turned again. Going back to the old lifestyle a fishing of fish instead of fishing of men somehow seemed like a better option. There's something interesting about sifting. Logan mentioned this. Sifting is actually a good thing. The, the separating of the wheat from the shaft should be a good thing, right? It's a necessary thing. You, in ancient times, that would be something that you would you, it's a step that you wouldn't skip. And so how is this of evil that Satan wanted to sift Peter? The question I think we wrestle with sometimes though is, am I the wheat or am I the chaff? Am I the part that God can use to feed people? Or am I the part that just gets thrown away? And I think Peter has voted by his actions. How can my risen Savior use me? I denied him three times. So he fishes. Jesus meets Peter and his brother. And John there, John chapter 21, Peter recognizes Jesus on the shore, so he swims to them, and, and then the Lord uh, provides them with breakfast. That's what takes place in the first 14 verses of the story, and picking up in 15, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. A very pastoral thing to say. A very pastoral calling. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And I think he was grieved because he remembered that moment where three times from his lips he denied Christ. And if Peter isn't absolutely undone in this moment, emotionally a wreck, I'd be completely surprised. And maybe you've been there where you felt like you had abandoned your faith, abandoned your God, 
that your actions were unforgivable, that you were chaff and not wheat, that you were too far gone, that God could never use you. Maybe you can identify with Peter. I know I can. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. In other words, Peter, I know your past. I also know your future. Step into it. You know, it's not real persecution that really scares us, I think. It's our own failures. You want to put a grown man on his knees, trembling? It's not persecution. It's not facing hard things, challenging things. It's, it's their own failures. Nothing will put me down faster than me thinking about how many times I've let down my God. Jesus finishes this way. Follow me. Can you picture it? It's on the same shores where Peter first heard these words. It's on the same shores where the relationship started. That Jesus calls Peter back to the same, the only calling, follow me, be changed by me, be on mission with me, feed my sheep. I know what the enemy says. I know what the enemy says. And I know more than what the enemy knows. Follow me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You have a spiritual enemy. You will be sifted. You probably have been sifted, if nothing else, by 2020, right? I think community-wide, we've all been sifted. We've all been tested. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy all of us those of us who call on Christ and those who don't. But we've been sifted for a season. And Jesus has prayed for us. You'll be sifted by your health or your family's health. You'll be sifted by loss, loss of loved ones, loss of a job, loss of finances, loss of prestige, loss of friendship, Financially, you will be sifted financially. Temptation, 
you will be sifted through temptation. And when you give into that temptation, the evil one will kick you in the teeth. He'll lead you there. And then he'll kick you in the teeth and laugh at you for being there. You'll be sifted by your failures. The call doesn't change. And the person who calls you hasn't changed. He's still saying, follow me. He's still saying, be changed by me. You can't change that about yourself. And he's still saying, be on mission with me. That's always the call. Sifting reveals either a weakness or an unresolved issue of your heart. Whatever comes to the surface when you're sifted, fear, anxiety, pride, anger, lust, whatever comes to the surface in that moment, the sifting didn't cause that. It revealed it, and your God allowed that to be revealed so that he could take it away if you allow him, that he could heal you, that he could lead you on a path of restoration. Enemy always seeks to destroy you, and the Lord knows what's in your heart. He allows for those events so that what rises to the surface can be dealt with. Whatever is true is true. Which is why transparency is such a big core value for us as a church. I won't hide from you guys. I can't. I won't hide from the things that reside in my heart too often. Now, I won't always share from the stage. That's wisdom. But I have people within this body that I talk to. I need it. Because the enemy chooses to sift me too. And if I hide from those things that are in my heart, he will own me. Jesus will always call you back to following him, to being changed by him. And I love that. And being on mission with him. Always call you back to that. Discipleship comes with a cost. I hope you were told that from the beginning. If not, it's my duty, responsibility, kind of heavy to say that today. But to be part of his kingdom does come with a cost. Some of the costs will be specific to you. The cost that Logan's paid had been different than mine. Some of your costs, I can't even imagine. But you've been asked. Some of our costs are universal. Everybody gets to pay those costs. I don't know why. I don't know why those costs are there, but I trust the heart of my Lord and Savior. When he says that, in comparison to my relationship to him, I have to turn my back on all these other relationships, almost like I hate him. I can only do that if I absolutely trust his heart for them. 
Timothy Keller tweeted this weekend. The fear, if I obey God, I will not be happy. This is the same lie that Satan told in the garden. The fear is if I don't give everything to Jesus, it won't work out. It's the same lie that Satan told in the arm, in the garden. I said army. In the garden. Probably in the army too, who knows. I've had to face that fear of not trusting my God a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand times over. On the other side of facing those fears, it seemed like my fear was the biggest thing in the world. But I walked through that towards Jesus. I found that it was just a big scary lie. Once I made the decision, I found the power to live through that decision. So my part, my part is to commit everything to Christ and follow him. My relationships, my comfort, my possessions. As he says, follow me, I go where he leads. Commit everything to Christ. God's part, Jesus leads you and he intercedes for you. This is not something that's mystical. Every time I open up the scriptures and I read his words, I find power to live out the things that he calls me to. Every time I connect with him through my scriptures and through prayer and through worship, every time I connect with him through the word, prayer, and worship, just like Jesus did with his father by getting away, every time I do that, I see him leading me to new places. And he intercedes for you. In Luke 22, when he says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that word for prayer means having a deep personal need, you make an urgent appeal. Having a deep personal need, Jesus had a deep personal need to see Simon all the way through this sifting. Jesus wasn't turning his back. He was with him every step of the way. He made an urgent appeal. Romans 8 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? If Satan is against us, what does it matter? God's for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Satan desires to sift you and accuse you before the Father. It is God who justifies. <clears throat> who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I commit everything to Christ because I trust his heart. I trust his heart for me. I trust his heart for the people around me. There's no one better to entrust all those things to. And he has made every part better. Not always quickly, not always as quickly as I'd like. But consistently he changes me and the people around me. So that's God's part. Jesus leads you and he intercedes for you. Now their part. Yeah, it's blank. Because maybe sometimes we like to focus on their part too much. Sometimes we like to compare our sifting to other people's sifting. Sometimes we like to compare our challenges to the challenges of those on our right or on our left. And we wonder why their situation hasn't been harder. After Peter is told how his life will end, he says, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about what price they will pay. Worry about what price are you willing to pay. You follow me. You keep your eyes on me. Because if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we won't get distracted by the problems and the challenges because they're going to be there. Even our neighbors who don't know Christ, they have challenges. If we keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him and stay true to the task of following him, being changed by him, being on mission with him, willing to give him everything, Whatever he asks, willing to give him everything, it'll be good. My part, commit everything to Christ. Everything to Christ and follow him. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.